This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. It's finally here. By all calendars, we are in the sweet spot where everyone can safely start celebrating Christmas. Some of you have been on the target schedule, and as soon as the Halloween decorations came down, the Christmas decorations went up. So some of you are already ahead of us. Some of us are kind of late to the game, but it is finally time for Christmas. And the great thing about Christmas is we all have these wonderful traditions that we love uh, to uh, pass down from generation to generation to repeat every single year. Uh, I have a young family, I have two small kids, and so my wife and I are starting the conversations of what traditions do we want to pass down to our kids. Uh, when I think about Christmas, a, a big tradition for us growing up was on the first Saturday in December, uh, we would all load into my dad's truck and drive out to the Christmas tree farm, like legitimate farm out in the mountains of Virginia, uh, and we would cut down our family Christmas tree. And then we would bring it back to our house and we would watch uh, Christmas movies while we decorated and we would order pizza and we would get those, uh, those big tubs of popcorn with the three different flavors of popcorn. Does anybody else do that? That was fantastic as a kid growing up. Like I loved that. Uh, the thing about traditions though is, is that we often glaze over the hard parts and just like to remember like the warm fuzzy moments of the tradition. We always forget that Every time you go to a Christmas tree farm, someone decided to dig out a tree, and so there's just randomly a hole in the middle of the field that you will inevitably step in and twist your ankle, and that because the way Christmas tree farms are laid out, the, all the good trees are far away from the access roads, and so you have to walk way back into the back of the lot to find your tree. It takes forever to find the right tree because there's a bald spot here, and you're trying to like do the geometry of like which way can we rotate it in the space. And you finally cut it down, you have to drag it a mile out to the access road to be able to put it in the truck to take it home. And then you get home and you buy that big tub of popcorn and like it already comes pre-stale. That's like an added feature of those tubs of popcorn. They're never fresh. And you're wondering, how is this a thing? How did people get away with selling these to like grown adults who understand what popcorn actually tastes like? Uh, we do this with all of our traditions where we like to glaze over and if we're not careful, I think that we run the, the risk of that again this Advent season. And so my hope is that we wouldn't just be in the rush of getting through our favorite parts of Christmas, but that we would slow down enough to see where God might be teaching us something new during this Advent season. When we first started planning this uh, sermon series, we decided that we were going to line it up with the lectionary. The lectionary is a three-year scope and sequence of scripture that uh, lines up with the liturgical year starting in Advent. We're in the beginning of a new uh, liturgical year. It goes through Christmas, through Epiphany, through Lent, uh, through Easter, through Pentecost, and then finally into ordinary time. Uh, I am a recovering Baptist. I did not grow up Methodist, and so we didn't use the lectionary growing up. Uh, I went to a Baptist school, so we didn't use the lectionary there. And so when we were preparing for this, I was like, don't worry. It's Advent and Christmas. Like, we understand that. We, we have an idea of what happens at Advent and Christmas. There are shepherds, there are sheep, there are angels, and then a couple days later there are wise men. How many? Who knows? But we understand, we have the gist of the Advent uh, story. And after all, uh, I think a lot of us are like Ricky Bobby and that we like the baby Jesus the best. And so this is the part that we like to remember the most, the warm, cute, cuddly parts of Advent and Christmas. 
Well, there was a group of pastors that got together to set the lectionary, and no one told those grumpy men that this is the cute and cuddly part of the Christmas season. And so I think that there is something that God might be trying to tell us through our scripture today. Our scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 3. It's in verses 1 through 12. If you have a Bible app, I encourage you to open up to it. Or if you brought your Bible, great, open up to it as well. Uh, I'll be reading from uh, the Common English Bible, and it will also be on the screens. Hear now the word of the Lord. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the desert of Judea announcing, change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. He was the one of whom Isaiah the prophet spoke when he said, the voice of one shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem throughout Judea and all around the Jordan River came to him. As they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Many Pharisees and Sadducees came to be baptized by John. He said to them, you children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows that you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father, I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. I baptize with water those of you who have changed your hearts and lives. The one who is coming after me is stronger than I am. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and with fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the the husks is in his hand. He will clean out his threshing area and will bring the wheat into his barn, but he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Merry Christmas, everybody! Why must John the Baptist ruin my Christmas? I'm ready for this image of a cute, cuddly baby lying in a manger. Shepherds, sheep gather around. All the animals seem to know what's going on. Everybody oohs and ahs. That's a feel-good story, right? Instead, we're given this story of a grungy man wearing camel hair, eating bugs, and shouting at people in the desert. It's interesting to note, though, that only two of the Gospels tell us anything about Jesus' birth. But all four have a story of John the Baptist. It seems that the uh, gospel writers understood that John plays an important role uh, in preparing the way for Jesus' entry and to setting the stage for the story. Matthew tells us that John fulfills uh, an important piece of prophecy from Isaiah when he quotes Isaiah 40 verse 3 and he says, uh, the voice of one shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, Make his paths straight. John's uh, prophetic voice and role uh, ties into this long history of uh, messianic prophetic witness. Uh, This hope and promise have been building throughout Israel's time, uh, saying that although things are not the way we want now, there is someone coming, a Messiah that is coming to overthrow the rulers of the day and restore God's people and build God's kingdom as God had promised so long ago. And John steps into the midst of that, 
pointing to that new kingdom, pointing of someone to come, saying, change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. Inviting people into this new kingdom that would be established. Uh, This season of Advent is a season of prophetic witness where we as the church declare that something better is coming. That this is not how things are intended to be, but that God is actively working to change it. Last week, we talked about how the church is an agent of change in the world, and that part of Jesus' coming showed us a new way for the church to be engaged in God's transformation of the world. That we are to be a light in the darkness, a message of hope in a world of despair. And that's That's the kingdom of heaven that John talks about. But then we get to verse seven. Many Pharisees and Sadducees came to be baptized by John. He said to them, you children of snakes. That's imaginative. Who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows that you have changed your hearts and lives. John the Baptist not only preaches a message of hope for what is to come, but also a message of change and transformation, a message of, quite frankly, warning. And in verse 7, we're introduced to a particular group of people that John addresses, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, John doesn't mince his words uh, when it comes to the Pharisees and Sadducees. The common English Bible says children of snakes. Uh, I'm more uh, fond of the NRSV, which calls them a brood of vipers, which is just like more condemning, right? A brood of vipers. I can't think of a single person in my life that I am so upset with that I would call them a brood of vipers. Uh, But I'm going to store that one away. Uh, Why is John so harsh with the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Well, let me tell you a little bit about how this group of people function. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are the religious rulers of the day. They are the ones that are uh, very concerned with God's law and following God's law and keeping God's law and making sure that everyone else uh, adheres to the standards found in scripture. They are the very, when, they, when people didn't, they were also the ones that chastised them, corrected them, and if necessary, excluded them from being part of the community. They were the very people that today we would assume have all the answers figured out. That they understand exactly what it is that we're supposed to do, and yet they are the very ones that John calls out and rebukes. Why? Later in Matthew, Uh, A whole chapter is devoted to Jesus uh, railing against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Jesus also calls them a brood of uh, vipers. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but uh, here's a highlight. It comes from Matthew 23, verses 23 through 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. You blind gods, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. The Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, fell prey to something that we all do. Something that theologians like Augustine and Thomas Aquinas uh, would describe as disordered desire. Disordered desire. We more commonly refer to it by a simple term, sin. But I think when we just use the word sin, we Uh, often mischaracterize sin as just this list of things that we should not do. And instead, what our Christian tradition has told us, what church uh, writers have told us, is that it's more complicated than that. 
that sin at its root is a disordered desire. When we take good things, things that God has deemed good, and our pursuit of them, our search for them, falls out of line in order uh, with God's intended purpose for them. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were so consumed by following the letter of God's law, by doing the right thing, that they lost sight of what God actually calls us to do, to love God, to love our neighbor, and to be part of the transformative work of building God's kingdom here as it is in heaven. The Pharisees and Sadducees had become so consumed by following God's law of determining who was in and who was out that they had excluded people from coming to know God at all. They had transformed their outward actions, but had failed to be transformed in their hearts. The truth is, is that in this Advent season, there are ways and times that we, the church, are like John the Baptist, where we are a voice of prophetic witness calling out in the wilderness to people that there is hope and something new and wonderful coming. But it's also true that at times, we, I, are like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, where our desires become disordered and we stand in the way of people experiencing the hope and love of God. It's really easy for us to approach following God as a list of uh, to-dos and don'ts. And when things get busy, when we feel rushed, when we feel stressed, it's easy for us to rely on a routine of going through the motions, concerned about doing the right things, concerned about uh, checking the block and looking righteous from the outside. It's harder for us to take the time to pause and reflect and let our inward desires and motivations be transformed to match our outward actions. The message of Advent is of Emmanuel, God with us, of a new way that God is in relationship with humanity, an incarnational relationship where we do not do this life alone, where it is not about us doing the outward things that show us as a righteous, but instead is about Jesus dwelling within us to transform us from the inside out. The Pharisees were so busy going about their religious routine that throughout the gospel, they miss the fact that God is walking among them, that God is in their midst. And if we don't take time to pause this Advent season, we risk the very same thing. So how do we practically do that? How do we create space for God to transform us uh, from the inside out? Uh, One way that we can do that is through a prayer exercise called a daily examine. There are a variety of examples of daily examine. John Wesley and his uh, holy club did a daily examine that included uh, 22 questions that they would ask themselves as they walked along. Uh, But today I'm gonna share with you a a more simple version, a version rooted in uh, St. Ignatius, who would call the daily examine the most important prayer of the day. Uh, And it's made up of four parts. Part one, Become aware of God's presence. In the exam, we have an opportunity to spend a few moments reviewing our day, paying special attention to the moments that we most felt God's presence with us, and conversely, becoming aware of the times when we felt separated from God. Number two, review the day with gratitude. The exam further invites us to practice living in gratitude as we, ask, we are asked to remember those people, situation, and events that are a day for which we are most grateful. 
and also ask special blessing and prayer for those hopes and concerns in our heart. Number three, pay attention to your emotions and face your shortcomings. Where have you felt true joy today? Where have you, uh, what has troubled you today? Where have you been challenged today? When and where did you pause today? And have you noticed God's presence in the midst of any of this? And number four, uh, consider your response and look forward to tomorrow. As you take time to take stock of where God is actively involved in your life, where you feel God's presence and where you feel separated, where you have struggled and where you have triumphed, how is God calling you to respond uh, in the work of your life? Where is God already taking work in your life and how are you then stepping in to meet God where he is? A daily examine reminds us that each day uh, we may ask for forgiveness for the ways that our desires in following God have become disordered. By recognizing our need for forgiveness and God's desire to forgive us through this daily examination of consciousness, the power and freedom of living in ongoing redemption becomes possible. Our spiritual path becomes a dynamic experience of conscious living based on our incarnational relationship with God. To put it more simply, when we take the time to pause and reflect where God is at work in our lives, we find a new way to be human, an incarnational way of approaching the world around us, where we do not go alone, but God dwells within.